This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Tour. Back again with you guys for another episode of our Let's Talk Arsenal series. I'm joined by the Evening Standard, Simon Collings. How you doing, mate? You good, Joel? I'm very good, thanks. How you doing? Yeah, not bad, not bad. I'm hoping that people can see me all right. I'm getting an indication in the corner of my screen that I might be experiencing some internet problems. Is it coming across blurry to you? Am I like, is it like a terrible connection? I can see you and I can hear you. So, I mean, it's good for me. So, that's, all, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Uh, good evening, everybody joining us in the chat. Hope you're doing good. Hope you're well. And thank you so much for joining us as always. Uh, Simon, uh, it's been a pretty enjoyable start to the season. You know, covering Arsenal uh, every day is both a privilege and a curse at times for us. But, uh, you know, it's been pretty fine to, to kick things off. It's been really good. Um, and I think, as you say, people sometimes sort of don't realise that when you're in the club day to day, as we are, um, it's difficult when things are going bad because people are the same as, you know, in any work environment, when things aren't going well, people aren't happy. And the mood around the club, everything. I mean, we've seen it with supporters, but I think even from dealing with the club day to day and Arteta and the players, you can feel how different this season is. And, um, yeah, watching back on Amazon, you could see the start contrast, couldn't you, between the start of the season and this start of the season. And yeah, long may it continue. Absolutely. Um, it's been enjoyable. It's been filled with goals and great football and, and most of all, kind of the appreciation of, of the transfer business that we've managed to do. I mean, Gabriel Jesus and Zinchenko coming in. It's mad to think that only, what, four years ago in 2018, when we watched Arsenal lose to Bournemouth 2-1, um, with a team that was very different in terms of what it looked like. I think only Granit Xhaka, of course, has kind of carried over from that team in terms of a starter. Everything else has, has all changed. Do you think it's impressive to see how much the kind of the recruitment has, has levelled up this Arsenal team over the last couple of seasons or so? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was thinking about this the other day and I was trying to think of a window where Arsenal have got their business done so early and so well. You know, normally we'd be talking now, what are we sort of a week a week to go in the window and saying, you know, Arsenal's still got quite a bit to do. And admittedly, you know, I'm sure we'll get onto it, that they could mm. add a wide player or maybe a midfielder, but you're looking at one signing. You're not looking at major surgery to the squad. And I think Zinchenko's been brilliant for me, arguably being the unsung hero and best player so far. But I think that Jesus signing was absolutely crucial because before the window started, everyone said, Arsenal need a striker. That's got to be done. Mm. And they got their number one target and they got him in before they played their first pre-season game. And to be in that position, I think really set the tone for the whole window. And, you know, credit to Edu. I think he's come under criticism in the past, rightly so, I think. But in this window where he'd probably argue it's his first proper non-COVID window, I think he's done pretty well on incomings. Outgoings, maybe not so good, but mm. I think you can't argue with the players that have come in. 
Absolutely. I mean, yeah, let's tackle outgoings because at the moment, Arsenal, of course, are trying to move on the last few surplus players, to put it politely. You know, some of them, I think Ainsley Maitland-Niles has been around a long time. There's been times where possibly we could have accepted bids from the likes of Wolves in the past. And we may look back on that now with, with regret. Hector Bellerin, of course, is still trying to work out his future. And Nicolas Pepe is potentially moving on to Nice. But we've done business prior to that as well. But We've seen, you know, Bert Leno move on for a three million pound upfront fee with like five million quid's worth of add-ons, which is when you consider the player that he is and certainly the performance that he put in, um, you know, against Brentford the other day, pulled off some brilliant saves and, and some good work out from the back as well. Seems like a mental amount of money. Genduzi going off for nine million, Mavropanos going off like two to three million pounds. It seems as though we still can't address this sales reputation. Do you think that is something to point the finger at Edu with with criticism? Or is there a semblance of sympathy that the players we're moving on weren't his responsibility regarding bringing them in, if that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, I think he's got to take some responsibility for for some of the outgoings. Um I think part of it is, is dictated by the market and the player's situation. And we saw that a bit in, in the documentary um, mm. you know, with the Olabamiang situation and, and Edu and Arsenal realising quite quickly there's not really there wasn't really a market for him. And I think some of these players has been a bit of a victim of that, um, you know, struggling to find clubs that are going to want to take players, a lot of these players on big wages. So Arsenal haven't really been in the position where they've been sort of rejecting bids for players that they want to keep hold of. It's more mm. clubs coming, you know, them trying to force them on clubs, which is never a good position to be in when you're, when you're selling. But I think that there is definitely a case for them being able to extract more value. And, and I wonder, I think I always look at Liverpool as a sort of golden example for a club selling well. And look at even this summer, you know, look at someone like Minamino, mm. you know, 17 million. I think Neko Williams was around the same sort of price. And I think they have the advantage of when you get to being, you know, the number one or two team in the Premier League and you're selling your sort of quote unquote squad players, they have a sort of set value and price. And I think if Arsenal Mm. start being a Champions League team again, start being a team that competes for titles, I think you'll see those players who are on the periphery. Suddenly people will be going, hang on, you know, they're coming from one of the best teams in the country. They're going to demand a certain fee, whereas at the moment. I think it's difficult when you're trying to sell into that market, and particularly the the COVID market we're operating in now, where people don't have very much money. But yeah, I think if people had jotted down on a bit of paper what they thought they would have got from outgoings, um, I don't think the club have hit that that target. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I think the judgment will certainly be next summer a lot more stringent on that because I think that the players, of course, that are going to be around next summer will be very different. Pepe will likely return from that loan unless, of course, Nisa activate any kind of option if that is indeed included and we're not 100% sure on on the finer details of that just yet but there is scope with potentially you know Rob Holding's future um, being up in the air probably next summer I think that I imagine that he will probably stay this season and, and be kind of that fourth choice for Arteta and be involved in a lot of kind of the cup games and rotation and has done a very good job when called upon at times for us um, you've got Obviously, players like Nuno Tavares, who potentially may not have a future at the club if Zinchenko and Tierney are to stay. And alternatively, if Tierney is frustrated by a lack of opportunities, who knows what might happen with his future? So I suppose next summer it will be when we kind of really look at the sales department and what kind of money starts coming in for the players that have been bought more recently under the current regime. Um, 
there is, of course, still a lot of business to do, it seems. Arteta is very open, and as he has been, and as he's spoken to the media in the press conferences, about the idea of doing more. He spoke after the game against Bournemouth, saying that they're aware that they need more firepower, is the interesting word that he used. I thought that was quite telling, actually, kind of especially with the forward line that we've been discussing. And, you know, me and you were talking a little bit off air about how it's been very quiet regarding kind of incomings over the last month, at least. And this Pedro Neto news that has come out recently, um, David Ornstein being the first to, to break that um, was a little bit of not only relief, I think, to really kind of get that idea of who Arsenal are really going for, but also because it's another Premier League footballer with established kind of experience. And I'd love to know kind of your thoughts around Neto and or how you view him as a potential target. Yeah, I think he fits, very much fits the profile of player that Arsenal have gone for not only this summer, but the summer before of being at that age where you can see the growth and potential in him, but he's got a level of Premier League experience that I think makes him a, a desirable player to bring in. And I, I did wonder, we obviously, we knew that Arsenal wanted to do more business. And as you say, it had gone very quiet and everyone was sort of trying to work out, do they want a midfielder? Do they want a winger? Who do they want? Mm. And, you know, news like this coming out, I think sort of seven, eight days from the window to go, I think it's probably a sign that Arsenal, if they're going to do business, they know they need to accelerate it in this week. And I think Neto is a player who would improve the squad. And I look at that forward line um, that's starting at the moment with Martinelli, Jesus and Saka and what they're bringing in terms of energy on and off the ball, you know, work rate, everything is fantastic. And I think you can bring in, you know, you can bring in Smith Rowe, you can add to that, you can bring in Eddie and add to that. But I think if you wanted another winger who really offered what Neto and, and Saka do, sorry, what uh, Saka and Martinelli do, then I think Neto yeah. is someone who fits that bill because I think Smith Rowe is quite a different player to that. And Eddie obviously naturally wants to play through the middle. So I wonder when Arteta was talking about firepower, if he meant a dynamic winger who could come in for Saka or Martinelli, because I do think if, if Bakayo Saka got injured, um, mm. and Nicola Pepe's obviously leaving, I don't really think there's anyone who can replicate that role. Smith Rowe could play there. Vieira could play there but they're not going to do what Martinelli and Saka do. So I wonder if that is the thinking with it. And for me, it makes a lot of sense. The one issue, which I think has been pretty widely reported, would be the price and mm. £50 million pounds, um, seems like a lot of money. But whether there's room to negotiate there, I think we'll find out over the next sort of eight, nine days. How do you view the price in terms of kind of how it measures up to the player that you're getting into Neto? Is that too much of an mm. ask or is, is Arsenal... Would would Arsenal be within kind of their the realms of not necessarily realism, but just what's appropriate, I suppose, to go and pay? Because they've clearly this summer, you know, you look at what they did with Rafinha and with Lissandra Martinez, they weren't willing to go to a certain figure yeah. with those guys. Do you think now with the window as where it is and the stage that it's at and the need as well with potentially Pepe leaving that they might be more willing to push the boat out a little bit more financially? And is it fair to? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a difficult one because they've obviously spent a lot of money and I also think the outgoings haven't been probably as as great as mm. obviously, you know, supporters and the club themselves would have thought. Um, it, when we knew they always wanted a winger, didn't we? We saw the Rafinha interest and the bids going here. So we knew that that winger position was something they wanted. Um, but we have seen, as you say, that if the price isn't right, Arsenal are quite happy to walk away. And also we've seen, you know, if they can't get who they want... Um, I think January was a prime example of that. They are happy just to keep their powder dry and just say, well, we won't sign anyone. And mm. I think they are in quite a strong position with Wolves to say, look, you know, we're not, you know, we're not going to break the bank here. You know, we have got a strong squad. Um, we have got ways to facilitate, you know, 
being without players in it. Um, for me, when I when I first saw the price being sort of fifty million, felt a little on on the high side. Um, but then when you look at the market, it's difficult because you know Wolves will argue. You know we sold Morgan Gibbs White, who's got one Premier League goal, um, you know twelve Championship goals last season, and, and they got forty five million pounds for him. So yeah. they're going to argue we've got Pedro Neto, who's a Portugal international, was their player of the season two years ago. He's got five years on his contract. You know, they're going to be in the same position to Arsenal saying, you know, we, we're not under pressure to sell here. So I, with a lot of these things, I think if, if it was to be more palatable, I think, you know, you're looking at things like add-ons and the way you can structure the payments and not be playing all that front. But I think 50 million for me, for a player who's possibly not a guaranteed starter, feels like a lot. Um, mm. It's whether Arsenal think the same. Yeah, I, I made the comparison with with, it being kind of similar to when Liverpool made the Diogo Jota signing, ironically, of course, mm. very similar in terms of nationality and the club that he's coming from too and versatility because he plays, can play on the left, can play on the right. He is left-footed, but he's developing kind of that right-footedness in his game from playing on the left uh, quite a lot. He has played in the middle as well. Um, I think in that season that he played in 2021, um, he operated on like seven or eight games. I think he played through the middle that season. So uh, both as a, a centre forward as kind of behind the striker as well as more of a 10 or a second striker. So that versatility is quite similar to the Jota signing. Of course, they paid, I think, around £45 million for him. Um, and he's obviously been a great asset to them. But he was further along the line in development than the Neto currently is and was probably less of a risk than you would say Neto is for 50 million. So I can see the reservations and I you know, have my reservations. But I also think I have the confidence from seeing what Arsenal have done this window that I feel, I feel as though they wouldn't overpay or at least if they were to go to that level that, as you say, add-on structures would be in place to to financially benefit Arsenal because that's that's something that's that's changed quite a bit. Um, the other big name, as we know, is Yuri Tielemans, um, who has not had the best of times. I'll be very honest; like I, I haven't necessarily been impressed by his performances over the last last season and this. Um, I haven't said he's been the same as he was the season before that and and through until he was, of course, signed by Leicester from Anderlecht. So. What do you? Oh, it was from Monaco, of course. He came from Andalette originally, yeah. and then Monaco yeah. after. Um, what have you? What do you make of this one? Just to talk about him as a player before we kind of go into the details of the transfer. But as a player, is he someone that you think would, as I describe it, push the needle of quality in the Arsenal midfield? He's someone I, I personally, uh, you know, really like as a player. I mm. think um, I wrote about him before before the Leicester game. Um, and I'm sure we'll get onto the price and you know the situation he finds himself in. But I, I felt like in that Arsenal midfield, I don't know if they've got a player like Tielemans who they've obviously got, you know, your Odegaards and your Xhaka who's playing very high this season. But for me, Tielemans is sort of a dic- you know, player who can dictate the tempo, he can sit a bit deeper, he sort of controls the rhythm of a game. Um, a bit more of a quarterback type player than Odegaard who wants to play high up the pitch. And I felt like that was something that wasn't really in the squad. Um and also felt like just sort of in terms of forward planning, you know, and then he's, we know he's got that one-year deal with an option. Whether you want to take that up in a year's time remains to be seen. Um, Granite Xhaka is two years on his deal. He'll have one year on his deal. Next summer, he'll be 30 years old. Is that the time you think, you know, you cash in? So suddenly, if you're losing two midfielders, mm. um, there's a spot in the squad for Tielemans. And my sort of argument in the piece I wrote was that if he's a player of of what I think is good quality available for sort of 25 million pounds, 30 million pounds, the chance to do a bit of forward planning and get him in now 
Um, I was all for it. That, that was my suggestion. If Arsenal did one bit of business, I would go and do that deal. Not necessarily because I felt they had to get a midfielder in, but because a deal like this with a player of that age proved in the Premier League, I felt it was too good to turn down. But maybe there is optimism at Arsenal that if in a year's time his contract runs out, then they'd be at the front of the queue then. I would worry if it was me that there would suddenly be a bun fight for him then though. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. It's interesting, you know, I wrote a piece this morning actually kind of talking, kind of just trying to put into words, I suppose, the the concerns I have with it. It's not that I don't think Tillemans is a good player. Like, I think that he is. And I think that actually a move to Arsenal has the potential to see kind of that level return to what we were used to seeing him play at Leicester because he's got that freedom. He's back where he, you know, he's where he wants to be. He hasn't got kind of these social issues going around the outside about where he might go after a transfer. But the, the reason why I have kind of this reservation is just I feel as though if we do invest in that kind of box-to-box kind of player that Tielemans is, we are committing to him, you know, for the next four to five years. And the thing that holds me back is, is that I think, could Arsenal do better? And with these expectations that Arsenal, if we're being real, you know, they're looking, whilst we joke about title challenges now and stuff, and obviously the ambition is to get back into the Champions League first, the end goal has got to be getting back to challenging for titles and being on the level of Liverpool and Man City. And you'd hope that that would be within the length of potentially a contract that you hand to, to Yuri Tielemans. So is it? do you think it's a fair position? And you can completely tell me I'm wrong. I can take it, <laughs> trust me. People tell me all the time. Um, but is it? do you think it's fair to be have that resistance about whether or not we could potentially maybe in 2023 sign an even better player than Tielemans? But by signing him now, we then commit to that player that maybe we could have got an even a better one for, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think he is certainly the age yeah, you're signing a player like that for the long term. It's not like you're signing um I was gonna say it's not like you're signing a thirty year old, but United have signed a thirty year old for five years, so maybe that's a bad example. But it's 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 a long term <laughs> signing and it's in a key position, isn't it? You know, those midfield mm. roles. Mm. Um and we obviously see the value the club plays in Odegaard with him, you know, becoming captain. So there there is an argument for that, and perhaps that is part of the, the reservation at Arsenal because they do as we, as is well known and reported and documented, are interested in Tielemans, but they haven't pulled the trigger. And whether that is because they're not quite 100% sure on a player and they don't want to go down and invest that money, maybe that's the case. Um, but I, I, for me, it felt, it felt like a it still feels like a deal that would be good to do. Um, but it is, it is a case, I suppose, if you, you know, you're arguing about the sort of the quality of the player. Um, and if Arsenal are thinking of being a title-challenging side, why is it, you know, Liverpool crying out for a midfielder? Why are they not going for Yuri Tielemans? Why isn't there this big clamour of clubs going for him? Mm. Um, and for people who argue that he's not going to be the quality that Arsenal want in a year's time, that's probably something they'd say that, look, you know, it's only really seems to be Arsenal in for him. He's a, apparently, he's a great price. Why is no one else bidding for him? Yeah, and it's a fair one. Um the only thing I can cut as a reason is because clearly the the established link with Arsenal seems to be so clear yeah. that if another club was to come in, I imagine that Arsenal would probably pull the trigger sooner, thinking that they could, they'd miss out. But for me, the reason why they, they've not necessarily yet is I don't think they're happy with the demands, I suppose, of Leicester for a player with just one year left on his deal. Um, and that's and they know that, of course, with the fixtures they have in, in August, 
as we are seeing, that they are very comfortable with the squad that they have to tackle those five fixtures. Beyond the window, of course, is a very different scenario. And so you can land, say, Tielemans on deadline day and it hasn't necessarily affected our first five games because they're winnable fixtures. But that could, of course, change going forwards. So... The price tag, £25 million. You've mentioned, you've, you've obviously written about this. Do you feel as though, and I'm not I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but do you feel yeah. as though this is a deal that will creep towards happening before deadline or, or on deadline day? I mean, at the moment, it, it doesn't feel like it's, mm. it's going to happen. Um, it seems like Arsenal, you know, they want to get a winger in and Neto is a the player they want to get in. Um I think, like you said, with the Tielemans, I think, like you like you pointed to there, it was always going to be a deal that if it was going to get done, was going to get done late in the window, I think, because of the contractual situation, because of Arsenal being actually quite well set in that midfield areas. And when, and when you looked at the list of things Arsenal needed to do this summer, a new midfielder, I think, was lower down than getting your striker in, your left back in, um, addressing the centre of defence with Saliba coming back. So it wasn't going to be a priority and... With sleep, uh, sorry, with Tielemans' contact situation, um, you're not going to go in there on the 1st of July and, and pay a big fee when you think you're in a good position, you can get him late in the window, you haven't paid for his wages for three months of the summer. So it's one that, you know, could happen. It doesn't feel like it will at the moment. I, I do think Tielemans looks like a player who needs a move. Um, yeah. I thought that playing against Arsenal, he didn't look quite right. He obviously didn't start the game at the weekend. And I wonder whether... If Arsenal don't, whether someone else comes in from on on deadline day, you know, um, and tries to get a late late bit of business done, because if he's not going to sign that contract with Leicester, they've got to they've got to really move him on unless they want to take the hit and just let him go for free in a year. Do you think there's any surprises? Uh, is the last kind of question on transfers <laughs> really? Because you know we've we've seen Arsenal pull out random things in the past. Um, it could depend upon if there's any major injuries in the next two games. You know, the window's still open for that, I suppose. But do you foresee any kind of random moves? So like a, a right-back or a left-footed centre-back? Because Marie's, of course, gone. So Gabriel's our only player who's, who's currently here with that role. Do you think there's any chance of, of a surprise? I mean, I don't. again, I don't feel like there's going to be a surprise. But then, I, you know, yeah. I mean, Fabio Vieira this summer, that was... What in the space of like 48 hours, we'd heard nothing about that. And then it was done. And even even Tomiyasu on deadline day, um, you know, last summer, that basically sort of in the morning it came out and by the evening it was done. Um, I think it, it could be a surprise in terms of the name, maybe. I think it looks like the winger is the, the position they want to strengthen. Maybe it'll be someone that we don't, we don't know about. And, um, you know, the Neto stuff plays out in front of it and also get their business done quietly. But they've been pretty... Mm. Most of their business this summer, they've been pretty good at getting it um, done without too much of a saga. I mean, I mean the Tielemans one, yes, but that's kind of been a bit more of the interest. I think once we've sort of known about Arsenal wanting their target, you know, I think with Jesus and Sinchenko, they've been pretty good at getting it, getting it done over the line. So um, it's going to be an interesting one because about a few days ago, I was sort of chatting to people at work and we were looking ahead to deadline day and saying, oh, it might actually be quite quiet for... Arsenal and Spurs and now it might not be for Arsenal but, <laughs> yeah. um, it's always the way isn't it? it always looks like it's going to be fine then all of a sudden it sort of yeah. ramps up the interest but um, I think at least after, I think I'd said to sort of touch on it in a press conference the other week um, but you know if, if if Arsenal didn't do anything incoming wise I think they would still be pretty happy with the window and satisfied with what they've done and mm. I think they'd be better just 
if they can't get who they want, as history has shown us with Arsenal looking to get rid of these players in the current window, um, you're better off just waiting for who you want to get rather than just filling the squad with another another body. Indeed, yeah. I think, you know, recruitment for the sake of recruitment is never going to be beneficial no. um, for this Arsenal 70 It's what we used to do. You know, we used to recruit players sometimes for the sake of it. You know, when we signed Nicolas Pepe for £72 million, yes, we needed a wide player, but we didn't need to spend £72 million on where there were stark <laughs> needs at central midfield and centre-back at the time. Like, it just made no sense. You know, I know that we desperately wanted to sign a, a Zaha during that, that, that time, but... Yeah, yeah, I just see such a different kind of measure to the way in which we recruit now um, and the strategy behind it, of course. Um, let's start looking ahead then, because beyond the transfer window ending, of course, there's a couple of games left. And actually, this is what I think is a really interesting part of the season because we've seen Arsenal be able to play the same lineup in the first three games because it's been one game a week and there's been not many, you know, fitness demands on the team. This time around, Arsenal have got, you know, three games in the space of a week because we've got Fulham and then we've got Aston Villa and then we've got Manchester United, you know, the following weekend. How do you foresee kind of Mikel Arteta tackling these games? Because we have seen him use the same team three games in a row within the space of a week. I think he did it last season, starting off with the Southampton and West Ham games. I think we saw a very similar lineup, if not the same lineup, and it was in a short space of time. So how do you kind of see him tackling these? Do you think he will rotate the likes of Tommy Asu and Tierney and players like this in? I think this might be the first time we, we do see a bit of rotation and, and possibly it could be for the last of the three games that Arsenal got coming up. Obviously, you know, Fulham and, and Villa at home, I think are fairly fairly sort of similar fixtures um, that Arsenal have had for pretty much all their games so far, where they sort of dominate a lot of the ball um, and been very much on the front foot. So it's it's sort of made sense to have the same team. I think that that United United game could be a bit different. And, you know, it's mm. interesting to see, we've talked a lot about and written about, you know, this idea of horses for courses and the defence having different options and playing different ways. And whether you go to a game like that, you know, do you want to play your Tierney's and your Tommy Asu's? You're probably, I think Tierney is a better defender than Zinchenko, certainly one-on-one. Um, and Tommy Asu obviously gives you that height in defence that you, you don't necessarily get as much with Ben White. So that, for me, I think could be the interesting game where we see a bit of rotation. But I think over the season there will be, particularly when the midweek game is Europa League game, I think we will see a lot of rotation. And You know, if you look at the team at the moment and who can come in, you know, you're looking at Europa League front three of being Smith Rowe and Ketia and Fabio Vieira, which is pretty, pretty tasty, mm. I think. Um, but I, I would start to think now the, rot- the rotation will, will slowly begin to happen. And also the players that will be rotated are now, you know, fully fit um, or certainly near full fitness. Whereas before they were coming on to get a few minutes. I don't know whether Arteta really had a debate about whether to start them because they might not be ready to start games, but, but now they will be. And it's, and it's going to be interesting. And, you know, I was at that Bournemouth game on on Saturday and thinking the strength of that bench and the players that are coming on. You know, compared to last season, you know, you're looking at Tierney's coming on, Smith Rowe, Tommy Asu, and Ketia. Like it, the squad has transformed from what it was a year ago. Um, and Arteta, I think he'll be relishing having these sort of headaches. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm relishing the thought of just seeing kind of what players are going to be dropped and who's going to come in. You know, it's whilst I don't like the, the prospect of talking about the likes of Tierney and Smith Rowe's future being uncertain because they're not getting too many minutes, that in itself is a good thing, you know, because it means these quality players are, 
you know that they're not getting into this side because someone even better than them is is currently in the team that's better suited for what we're doing which is you know when you think about what our squad was like three four years ago is a very different start. I mean not even that I mean you think back the end of last season where we had a bench mm. made up of half youth squad players you know the depth in this team has, has shot up dramatically you mentioned Fabio Vieira there I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts on him you know I know that we've not seen loads of him you know the Portuguese league is is not one of those that's regularly broadcasted or able to to catch glimpses but we've seen a little bit of him in, in the under 21s now when he played that game I know we've all seen kind of highlight reels of him but he was a signing out of the blue what what kind of role were you expecting to kind of see him flourish in Arsenal yeah I think sh- short term uh I watched I went on I went on YouTube and watched the sort of highlights of his under 21s game um mm. And I think he will do, I can see him in that Europa League playing that sort of right wing spot instead of Saka. I think if if Nelson had been fit, it's an argument to say Nelson could have played there and you could have played Vieira or someone else. But I think now that is where he'll start. And I, and I think you look at his size as well. Quite often players, you know, young players, when they come in, they, they start in those wide channels. It's a bit less physical bit more time on the ball and playing in the middle of the park you know even even center forwards get moved out there long term um I could certainly see him playing in that one of those number eight roles I think Arteta himself said that that mm. he could probably play the role that Jack is doing where he really pushes up the pitch I think he could definitely do the role Odegaard does as well on the other side because he likes to cut in um I think short term though I, rec- I reckon we'll see him on that right wing and, I- and I'm excited to see him play there um looks like a really exciting player and it's hmm. probably actually quite good in a way that he's you know I forget he's a 34 million pound signing and no one's really banging on about him or heaping all this pressure on him it's quite a good environment for him to come into in this situation now, I can think of summers gone by where Farstall would sign a you know someone for 34 million pounds there'd be a lot of pressure on him if he wasn't fit he needs to get back fit he needs to get in the team whereas this time it's actually quite nice I think the environment he's got on Arteta doesn't have to rush him he doesn't have to play him every game they can actually just get him adjusted to English football, um, mm. which I think will be beneficial for him this season. Absolutely. Uh, I'm really excited to see what he brings. You know, he's I think he's gone under the radar because he's just obviously not been involved in, in pre-season mm. and, and what he's going to add. I mean, the fact that Arsenal still want to go out and add another wide player, the potential to see Smith-Rowe and Ketia, Vieira, a new player coming in, you know, Lukonga as well, who's been on the bench, who I still rate, you know, fairly highly. And I think there's more to come from him in this Arsenal team. Uh, not to mention Marquinhos, who who came in and is impressed with the under-21s as well. So there's there's a lot of excitement uh, going on, you know, with the Arsenal depth right now. And Vieira is a massive part of that. For the last 10 minutes of the show, we're going to tackle some of your questions in the chat box. Um, so do make sure you start throwing them in and we'll try and tackle as many as we can. Um, do drop a like as well if you're enjoying it. You can follow Simon on Twitter at SR underscore Collings. Make sure you do. Keep up to date with everything Arsenal going on at the Evening Standard. Um, Manu says, uh, what happens to our game if Jesus gets injured? Shouldn't we be going for a wide forward who can also play similar to Jesus instead of a player like Neto or Pino? I mean, it's interesting because I'd argue, I think, Simon, that Neto mm. could arguably cover in the middle. Yeah, I agree. And I think Neto... Certainly in pre-season, when when Jimenez got injured, he was playing. He played a bit through the middle. Hmm. Um, and in the end, I think they opted to play Podence as a false nine instead of Neto. But I think he can do that role. Um, I think we saw last season that when the front line forward gets injured, I think now Arteta would trust if it got to the situation where Nketiah had to play 10, 12 games. I think Arteta now is complete faith to be like, that's absolutely fine, we'll do that. And then... If you're going beyond that, you know, you have to play Martinelli as a striker. 
Um, I think it's pr- it's pretty rare, I think, for a club in Arsenal situation to have sort of three frontline forwards, out and out forwards, mm. um, just because the number of minutes they're going to get. So I think I think Arsenal are actually in a pretty good spot there. And I think yeah, ideally, I do agree the wide forward would be good to play. Then I think Neto could do that, which is probably part of the attraction. But if they didn't get him in, I think you have Jesus. If he gets injured for a couple of months, touch what he doesn't, um, you know, Ketia plays there. Or if not, you've got Martinelli as an option. So I think Arsenal are okay there. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at most teams, the the options they have at centre forwards, if there is a third, it tends to be a player that can also play in, you know, in a wider mm. role. You know, Chelsea had Lukaku and uh, and and Werner there, but you had Havertz and Werner and Havertz could play in those wide positions yeah. should they need to. Um, you think back to, of course, this season now things have changed. They look like they're bringing in Bamiang, who, of course, as we know, can play in a wide position as well, and they've already got Havertz there. So it's going to be intriguing um, how Arsenal tackle that wide position. Hopefully, it's it's someone like Neto for a reasonable figure because I think it'd be a great addition. Um, Byron says, putting you on the spot, if the squad stays as is, what position is realistically achievable? Um, I mean, I tipped them before the season as as top four, mm. um, and I still think that should be the be the aim. Really, um, I think they could push for, for push for third, um, but I think they should. This squad, you know, looking at it, and, and I was looking a bit at the. I mean, the Liverpool Liverpool obviously a great team, but I was looking at the squad last night, which has been hit by injuries, and mm. you know, the three three that was playing midfield of you know, Milner, Henderson, Elliot. Um, you can see this, the difficulties they're having when players are out injured, but I do think this Arsenal squad has got serious depth now. And the money they've spent, for me, the aim should be top four. Agreed. Um, yeah, I'm in my expectation. Uh, was it uh, Aston Mack who was sitting next to Odegaard when he did the interview and said, look, minimum top four, you know, <laughs> uh, really putting and stick it on him. I love that. Uh, Chris P, thank you for the donation, says, uh, with Tillemans, does the current lack of interest mean he's a risky investment we can upgrade on in a couple of years when he'll still be in his prime with two to three years left on his contract? I mean, is that... Is that a a strategy in itself? You know, buying players, having them for two, three seasons, you can then upgrade upon them and then move those other ones on. I suppose with with Tielemans, that that is an attraction in the fact that, um, you know, if you're signing him for for 25 million, um, you are probably quite likely to to be making profit on that, I would think. Um, I mean, Leicester, Leicester paid 40 million and, I think if, if he wasn't in a year in his contract, I think they'd be getting a lot more money than than they would be now. Um, and Arsenal do need to be in a position where they where they are selling better and pl- the players they are selling are better. And we sort of touched on it a bit earlier, didn't we, when we were saying, you know, people like Smith Rowe not getting minutes, Tierney not getting minutes. I'm not saying that Arsenal want to sell those players. But if it comes to a point where you're yeah. looking at the squad of now 22 and you're suddenly going, oh, you need to, you know, you've got to get rid of, Tierney's not playing, or you've got to get rid of Laconga or Smith Rowe. These are players who are going to command good fees, um, and it is completely different. So, um, yeah, I think we've seen from the way Arsenal operate that they are thinking a bit like Liverpool do in terms of a resale value. And all the players that they brought in this window and the window before, you know, if you wanted to sell in two, three years, you're selling at a good age with time on the contract, and you should get a good fee. So, I, I, the days of Arsenal. You know, buying sort of thirty-year-olds or giving contracts to thirty-one, thirty-two-year-olds to bring them in doesn't really look like the transfer strategy now. Agreed. 
Definitely so. Uh, Rakefway says, hi, Tom, are you going to be doing a Europa League live draw uh, stream? If I did that, I think I may get divorced immediately considering <laughs> it happens when I'm at my wedding. So that would be quite the the achievement. That said, the ceremony doesn't start till one and the draw's at 12. So who knows? Maybe I can cheaply just watch the draw whilst things are going on and waiting around. Uh, she's going to kill me if she's watching this. Um, Amira says, good evening, Tom and Simon. Are, are some fans becoming obsessed with needing all our midfield to be goal scorers is that just the modern game or a fear from the lack of goals from last season good question actually yeah i think i think it's partly out of the the fact there was you know a dearth of goals from midfield wasn't it yeah um and and also there was a lack of goals probably all over the pitch really you know i think if arsenal had a um which they could do should do this season a goal scoring number nine and a goal scoring forward line I think those worries over lack of midfield goals would eradicate. I don't, I don't see many people um, looking at Liverpool's front three when they had, you know, Salamane and being like, oh, they need more goals from midfield. But yeah, absolutely. I, I ended up writing about it today about the goals from the midfield, actually, um, and saying how they have unlocked it a bit, I think, because of Zinchenko and the way he's sort of dropping into midfield. You know, Jacques and Odegaard in those games, I think we saw them score goals last season. You can think of Odegaard against Brighton with that long-range deflected shot, Jack against yeah. May Knight. But the goals they're scoring this season, they're all inside the box. And just the amount of time they're spending in the box, I think you will see a lot more goals from them. Um, but Arteta, you know, classically, doesn't, doesn't mind where the goals come from as long as they come. But mm. uh, I think there will definitely be more goals from the midfield this season. Yeah, my, my level of respect for you, Simon, grew last week when you announced that Granit Xhaka had made it into your fantasy <laughs> football team. Um, that was uh, quite the move and it paid off, you know. like It did. Uh, yeah, that was um, slightly out of desperation when I was selling Leon <laughs> Bailey and I was scouring the five million midfield. And then time. Bailey got an assist this weekend, of course. Which, yeah, is, which is classic, isn't it? But, bound to happen. Um, yes. Yeah. I'm uh, waiting I, for Xhaka to hurt me and burn me, but... <laughs> Yeah, I had an awful weekend this weekend. I think only Haaland, Salah and Zinchenko returned points for me. Uh, it was yeah. not a good week. So, yeah, a yeah, friend of Jack mine... Jack one of your best point scorers in your team. You know it's not... Exactly, good. yeah. A friend of mine had Diaz, Walker, Kukurea, um, Trent and James as their back five. <laughs> and none of them scored over like one point. So, wow. yeah, quite an incredible weekend for a lot of people uh, this week. It was definitely interesting. But, uh, yeah, I, it's in, this, back to the point, Amir, about your question. It's interesting because, you know, not many teams... And you used the, the example of Liverpool, which is a great one. Manchester City, you know, beyond Kevin De Bruyne... You don't necessarily see their midfielders scoring loads. I know Gundogan definitely contributes with goals throughout the season. Bernardo Silva does too. But I look at Odegaard kind of as quite similar role to, to Bernardo Silva at times, the way in which he operates deeper, really good on the ball, vision, good at going forwards. But actually last season, Bernardo Silva scored one more Premier League goal than Odegaard's and had the same number of assists. So it does kind of show you that that expectation of Odegaard getting into double figures for midfield isn't a requirement it's more so as you said simon the front three chipping in with more goals um than we've seen before um so yeah uh we'll try and take one more uh from the chat box uh actually there's more of a funny one uh from raul who says how are we looking forward to seeing leno and mope <laughs> return to the emirates with fulham that's i mean i'm sure you've seen the meme of tuchel and conte's handshake being compared to Mope and Leno meeting at Fulham. Well, it's interesting the business Fulham have done. I mean, we, we touched mm. on on Fulham, but it's interesting because 
you know, I remember when they came up from the championship last time, they spent massive and they brought loads of players in. I think Jukanovic was the manager back then, wasn't he? Um, and it just didn't work. I mean, what do you make of kind of the way in which they've built things differently this time? Yeah, I mean, that that Fulham window has gone down in sort of folklore because, I mean, even Forrest now are being described as doing a Fulham, aren't they? Yeah. You know? um, and I think this time they... My cousin's a, cousin's a Fulham um, season ticket holder and he's sort of argued that they've gone a bit too far the other way where they haven't got as much of the mm. business done as they'd wanted to. But I think they've been... A, the players they've got in, um, certainly Pereira and Paulinha, look like players that of real quality and they've gone quality over quantity. I think Leno, when well, we touched a bit on the price, but I think for the fee they paid from his brilliant oh, signing for a goalkeeper yeah. and for a position they're in, um, you know, I think is a great signing. And I I didn't actually have to, I had, we had to do a sort of prediction for the bottom three and I didn't have them in there just because I thought, um, I thought they had enough about them and, and the yeah. business they're trying to do for the end of the window, Justin Clivert, I think would be another good signing. Um, they kind of feel like, I know, um, the owner of their Khan is, you know, obviously passionate and trying to invest money, but I think they just they got it a bit wrong last time and yeah. a bit scattergun. Whereas this time, I think Marco Silva, you can see his fingerprints on those signings, and they've actually been a bit more measured and calculated. And yeah, I think there'll be a tough test on Saturday. I think um, certainly a, a tough one of Arsenal's toughest games so far, and uh, Mitrovic looking in good form. So yeah, it should be should be a good game in the Emirates. Yeah, I think this is. I think the I've been talking about how the kind of weakest area of Saliba's game has been aerially, and that's kind of part of his game that he developed whilst at Marseille a lot more. He's got a lot better than he was, but mm. it's going to be tested. You know, Mitrovic yeah. is going to test them, um, and it's going to be intriguing test as well about how it comes out. Because I think maybe some people might underestimate how the challenge could be. It could end up being Arsenal's most challenging game of the season so far. So that's going to yeah. be intriguing. Yeah, I didn't have Fulham in my bottom three either. I had. Uh, Bournemouth, Nottingham Forest. This was a lot prior to a lot of the business, but I still think maybe yeah. the Fulham effect could still come in. And Southampton were my other one that I put yeah, in. Yeah, I think I definitely had Bournemouth. I think I had either Southampton or Everton. Mm. And I had Leeds in there, but Leeds, I think, have. Yeah, look right, they? Myth, but yeah, they do look. I, I just thought, you know, selling the two best players, but they've actually sold their two best players and it looked like they've made the squad better. So mm. um, credit to them for that. But be interesting yeah. to see on Saturday when we, we touched him on defenders and changing, but you know, mm. we saw Mitrovic cr- climbing all over Trent, didn't we? And whether you think, do you play Tommy Asu over Ben White a bit more height? So, mm. yeah, it's not well, it's nice to be in this situation where we're deliberating who should be starting as opposed to fearful because, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wouldn't want to be Lissandra Martinez up against Mitrovic when that happens, no. that's for sure. That's going to be an interesting battle. Um, Simon, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Really appreciate it as always. Uh, tell people where they can find you and what you're going to be up to. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at SR underscore Collings uh, or standard.co.uk. Uh, I'll be following Arsenal home and away all season um, across Europe at home. So, yeah, keep up to date with everything. And fingers crossed, it's going to be a good season. It's looking mm. like it is but I'm trying not to get too carried away. <laughs> it's difficult. It's tricky <laughs> when things are looking so good. Yeah, whilst I won't be watching the Europa League draw on, on Friday, Simon certainly will to work out where his travels <laughs> will take him. Um, I will so, definitely yeah. be watching it, yeah. <laughs> Have you got anywhere in particular that you're eyeing up that you're hoping for? Or? I was I was thinking, well, I was thinking that would be very nice if, if uh, I think there's a chance they can get Betis. Yeah. Uh, and possibly you know, Bellerin, Bellerin could be back there. Yeah. A nice trip. Maybe early September might still be warm. Uh, mm. And I think it's great for the fans because I remember I just started covering Arsenal um, 
it was in when COVID had just hit in that season, obviously. Yeah. And uh, like all the trips that Arsenal had in that Europa League run, there was some, you know, they would have gone to Molder, they had Olympiakos, Prague. And you think for all the fans, you know, watching this draw, we'd all sit at home, weren't we, watching yeah. it? Um, and it is a massive thing. And, you know, some of my friends are West Ham fans and they were getting some sticks in the conference league, but they were like, don't really care. Going to go around Europe, watch our team yeah. play. And I think for fans, we've seen how good the away atmosphere is in the UK. I think the travelling Arsenal fans are going to really, really enjoy this season. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be an enjoyable season, fingers crossed. And and who knows, maybe we'll be... Where's the final? Is it Istanbul? No, it's... Uh... I think it's Vienna. I've got a weird feeling. Oh, that's a great final location. Vienna. I've got a weird feeling it's Vienna, 31st of May, I think. Uh, it will be in uh, the Puskas Arena, so Hungary. Is that not? Oh, um, yeah, so oh, there you oh, go. Well, happy. I went there for England, um, England's game in June. Uh, amazing stadium and a brilliant I'd have been on stu- two stag dudes in that city so I can confirm it is a brilliant city as well so how they weren't both yours Simon I hope <laughs> they were not both mine no, no. <laughs> but um, I can confirm yeah it is a very well that would be a brilliant final yeah all the more incentive for Arsenal to get there absolutely um, we'll wrap things up just with this question from Penny when he says when is the live event with Mike and how to get tickets yes if you would like to attend um, the Gunas versus Cancer live event on the 2nd of September in North London I will leave a link to that uh, not only in the chat box I'll, I'll drop that in there now um, but it's going to be a great night hopefully uh, FK from Latte Firm uh, Sophie from the Highbury Squad Harry from Chronicles of Aguna myself uh, and James Benj from CBS Sports are all going to be there uh, to do a show so come along buy a ticket it's only five pound and that five pound goes towards supporting the leukemia and lymphoma society as well so yeah get involved it should be a, a very nice evening fingers crossed after yet more wins ahead of that game against old uh, at old trafford of course against man united on the sunday but it's a friday night in north london definitely worth coming along so uh yeah get involved uh once again simon thank you for your time really appreciate it i'm sure we'll see you back on the channel soon and uh yeah enjoy the draw i'm sure you'll be watching along intently uh thank you chatbox for tuning in do drop a like on the video and subscribe to the channel if you're new do vote for us in the football content awards just go to www.votefortgt.com and it will create the tweet that you need for you uh thank you so much for listening i'll see you again very very soon and as always up the arsenal it's the 90 plus minute all your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your delivery. You in? At participating restaurants 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.